Man, what's happening? It's Contrast Uncut, episode 15. I got a little bit of history with me that's rolling with me today. We out here in the Bay Area. It's a beautiful day. It's like not even a sweater complaint out here. I'm out here in Vallejo. I got Derek B with me, ladies and gentlemen. The legendary Derek B in this motherfucker. What's happening, bro? How you doing? Oh, man. What's going on, man? I'm good. I'm good. Glad to uh, finally meet you in person. I know we've been connected for for a while now, you know, through social media. Yeah, facts. Done music together, a little distribution in the past, and with my brother Eat Greedy. You know, it's an honor to actually be in the flesh with you. I, I mean, when you say legendary, you don't you don't mean old, right? <laughs> you know, the stuff that people do, like life is not about age. It's all about experience, I've yeah, learned. Yeah, yeah. So the amount of experience you have puts you in a different caliber than other people that are in the lane. It's like, you know, it's legendary because of different things and the amount of years you're able to put into this game and still be standing. That's something right. that's respectable. And, yeah, definitely. And I got started when I was really young, too, so... How young? Um, well, I've always... I mean, I've always been a DJ. That's my... That's that's what I am. I'm a DJ who dabbles in the music business. So, uh, I started DJing in 1986. Gosh. I was in eighth grade. Whew. You know, I'm gonna just give it out there. My listeners, I ain't giving my age. I was born in 87. Oh, shoot, okay. So, you know, <laughs> just to give you a little bit of range, this guy got more ages in the game than I've been alive. And so, I got three decades. Um, yeah, man, my first job was um, a real job in the music business with, with Young Black Brother Records. That's um, Kyrie's label, of course, Mac Mall, Mac Dre for a, a hot minute, Ray Love, and uh, Young Lay. Wow. Was the lineup. Wow, history. So, yeah, that was my first gig, you know, street promoter. Wow. So from that that aspect, you were able to see a whole bunch of things from a jump. It wasn't like you were hidden behind shadows of what people were doing. You were able to see things quick out here. Oh, yeah, no, the Vallejo has always been a, a, a hub for do-it-yourselfers. And, um, you know, we had, we were, we were, we were all friends. Everybody, everybody knew each other. E40 knew everybody. N2Deep knew everybody. Young D-Boys knew everybody. Um, Partner Deuce knew everybody. Um, so people was united out here. Everybody went to school with each other and started <laughs> in the music business around the same time. It was the, the, the forerunners. The early guys were the funky Aztecs, N2Deep, E40. Uh, the real early. When know. when did Mac Dre come around? Um, you know, I'm, I I don't remember the years. We we'd have to sit down and we'd have to talk with Coolio on that because he he was there with me. With me. Um, Shout out to Coolio, the underdog. The I actually met Coolio first. He had hired me to DJ a party at the Crest at Crest Park. And um, we just became friends from there. And then I got a, a phone call at a Young Black Brother. And it was Coolio, he's like, can you meet me um, at the so-and-so, I forgot where we met, near the crest. And he's like, I want you to meet Mac Dre. So me and Rob Nonis, who was my mentor, 
we went and met Coolio and, and Mac Dre, and we got. We, it was weird because I can't remember the years he had uh, Impala. It was one of those. Was, <laughs> remember what color it was? I don't remember, but it was big, and all four of us sat in the back seat, which was really weird. Uh, and um, he asked about could we help him put a one sheet together for the rompilation. Uh. So that was the first time I met Matt Dre. But, you know, he he came a little bit after Funky Aztecs and and Into Deep, Into and, Deep and, and, and in 40, yeah. Okay, okay. Now, I have a quote. I always got to, you know, I got to fit my quote in there because it wouldn't be right unless I get it out there. So I'm going to get it out there. The only thing that comes to a sleeping man is dreams. Tupac Shakur. Yeah. So here's what I think about dreams. I mean, it's a good quote. And it applies to different people in different ways, depending on where you are in your life. But How does it apply to you? Well, it applies to me. Like dreams, dreams is the dreams are the, the, the key to everything in, in your future. Because anything you ever do starts with a thought. Which is basically your imagination, which is your, you know, your waking dream. You know, so your imagination, your dreams, they're hella important to me. And the more you have them, the better your life will be. You know, there's a word that I've been using a lot. I quit my job last year in May and was like, I'm going to do this music that I've been doing for 14 years. And I was like, you know, I'm going to do this full time. Quit my full time job, take a leap of faith. And this word that was thrown at me a lot before I did it was manifestation. Yeah, absolutely. Manifesting a lot of what you're gonna do and, and have a visionary plan to it. You know, not walk by, not walk by sight, but walk by faith, and really just dig into what you want to do. And it's been a lot of things. I've been the walls. I've been able to knock down just you know because I've been able to do that and take my time yeah. to it. No, it, I'm I'm on that same journey. Um, have you ever had a real job? Um, I've had part-time jobs. Um, but not like something that had you for 40, 50 hours, mm, clocking in, Yeah, someone so, to put you on a schedule. Yep. So I worked for my brother. He has a company doing air conditioning for like, it was a hard, you know, a hard time. Um, you know, I was going through a rough time and I needed to work. And so I did air conditioning for like almost a year. He did a hardcore job. Yeah, it's rough. Right. <laughs> like, how many people really need air conditioning in the Bay Area? Well, it was commercial air conditioning, so oh, gotcha. we'd be on top of a Costco. Uh-huh. Warehouses. Uh, warehouses and things like that. Uh, so you was carrying, or you was having, like, uh, Those cranes. cranes. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, um... Everybody needs air conditioning. You know, every shop you ever go in into the mall has a air conditioner. Yeah, no, you gotta keep that funky smell out of places. Yeah, people, so people is. A I know a little bit about air conditioning, <laughs> <laughs> but no, the, you know, I'm I'm thankful and, and and happy I don't have to do that because that was really one of those jobs where you come home and you just go to sleep and you don't enjoy life. Nah, it's just straight work. Well, when was the job not worth it to you? It all it was always worked to me because I had to I had to you know support Secure the family. Income. Yeah, so um but you know going through those tough times made me work harder on getting the music to pay me again and there was a time when when um I was making good checks because people were buying physical you know products. And uh, that the glory down. years. Yeah, and then that <laughs> slowed down and then 
people started to do downloads and you know I hated it and I was like damn my check sucks but I hadn't jumped on the, the download wave wave and I used to curse it every day because I'd see my check every month get smaller and smaller and smaller and then one day I said well fuck it I had to accept this as my new truth so I started to learn about it and um, in these in these between um, and even downloads had a its day in the sun and now no longer you know people don't buy music and so because people stopped buying music my check started to get smaller again and so therefore I had to do air conditioning um, but now I'm understanding streaming I'm understanding all kinds of different aspects because now I'm a full-time student of the industry because it changes so quick because yeah you have social distribution distribution man is like it used to be important me and a few other my friends we used to be important in distribution because it was hard to get yeah and it, not anyone physical could get copies it. was like the hardest thing to get in a deal so um like in two th- in 2020 distribution is easy so you know those skills i had back then aren't as valuable anymore yeah, it's just upload now it's just upload now for and follow criteria <laughs> for free or even you know no more than 30 to 40 dollars you could you could be up online and selling music that's that's facts let me ask you this question how many people hit you up and don't know how to submit music period that well, don't you know that don't understand cover art that don't understand mixing and mastering a lot of people do and, and you know one of the reasons is because there's not many schools that you could go to to teach you this information it's kind of like you you learn the music business through trial and error or hopefully you have a friend who's kind of successful and he kind of shows you the ropes but for the most part you're on your own you know but thankfully it's 2020 and we got youtube right right damn near every question you ever asked someone else asked before you <laughs> right youtube and, university and there's a good chance that they made a video about it and so you know youtube is where i spend about 20 hours a week uh, just going to school going to school everybody has free classes stanford business school guess what you can watch their classes for free on youtube berkeley business school like the Everybody's got free content online, even schools. Man, that's that's the hugest gem I've heard on my podcast yet. Did you know you can get a free education, a college education, no paper, but have the same game, and you can actually out hustle the opponent? It goes. It comes down to how bad do you want it? We. That's we, life. Look, if you're listening to this podcast and you are in America. America. I'm talking about America. Look, you don't have any excuse. What 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 are you lacking? You have access to the internet. Which you is, go to a yeah. library. Free internet is available anywhere. Anywhere. In America, damn near. You go to Starbucks right now, yeah. get you a cup of water and connect to their Wi-Fi. You could find any book you need in almost any library in America. Sure, you can download the books and they'll talk to you on the Audible apps. I mean... You can do that. There's no excuses what I'm saying. Like, if you're religious, every preacher, every religion, every pastor you need is here in America. There's no reason to, to fail. You know, I go to church and they pull out their phone. To re- the preachers will pull out their phone to read their, their Bible. And sometimes it's mind-boggling because it's like... We're in 2020 and preachers are really using their phone to to get to their congregation. And it's just, it's, it's amazing. It's just, it's just. It's the wave. <laughs> you know, evolution, right? 
You're right. You don't own a pencil sharpener, do you? If you uh, have children, maybe. But if you don't, you probably don't. Yeah, no, I do. I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. Okay, actually, but you, I'm happy you brought that up. It's an electric one, right? It's not a crank pencil sharpener. I don't own one anymore because there, there's you no know, need to. Shout out to my wife. She's a preschool teacher. So we do have the little old-school crank one. Okay, but you're the exception. It, it was donated <laughs> to us. So, you know, I, I like keeping old shit. No, for sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, for the most part, you know, my, you know, my children, they... They only know pencil sharpener is because it's an electric one. That's what they're used to. And their <laughs> children won't have a pencil. Right. You know, so it's Everything's just now through, through, uh, through what is it, uh, Google, not, or what is it called? Tablets and stuff. Tablets, now. phones, you know, and everything's, like you say, in the, in the cloud. Yeah, yeah. I used to think that shit was so funny because they'd be like, oh, uh, my pictures are in the cloud. My, my uh, information, my music, everything's in the cloud. And, like, you know, back then, I wasn't, like, hip to it because I was, like, younger and stuff. I was like, what the fuck are they talking about? Right, right. What cloud are you talking about? What the hell stores all this shit? And it's like, man, you need to get an iPhone and stop being out the loop. And, yeah. I got an iPhone now. I ain't got the new one. But They all good. Exactly. Until you get the updates. I don't know. I got an Android. But, um, I mean, my phone is essential. Man, I make videos on it. I, I write my notes. Um, I schedule things. I mean, everything is on my phone. All right, Derek B. I gotta ask you: When was the last time you were pulled over? Uh, it's been a while. I, That's I a good don't thing. Remember, my wife was pulled over with, with me in the car. Of course, that was a speeding ticket. That was recent. Probably last year. Oh, yeah, that's what I want. Because, you know, there's, there's a reason why we're still standing here. We're still breathing. A lot of the times people overlook simple things of how I get into things and how I get out of things. And a simple speeding ticket sometimes results in some wild things in our society. Oh, yeah, no doubt. So, you know, I like to ask my guests that, you know, you know, just to raise awareness. And, you know, like it, it may be a simple story. They pulled you over. You were speeding. They gave you a ticket. But it's important, you know, where, where were your hands at? Where were your eye gesture? How fast were you moving? You know, did your wife right. open the glove department before right, right. without directing for permission? Like, Well, I've been, look, I've been on the road, been on tour with tons and tons of your favorite rappers and been pulled over tons and tons of times. In the party? I mean, in the bus? In vans. vans cross, going cross country, one, you know... Oh, with tater, so those are the good stories. Tater Tay, 11.5, we used to roll across all the time in too deep. And we had stuff in the car all the time. It's just how you really handle yourself at, at out the gate. Like, yeah, you know, you got to have your equipment. You know, um, you could have problems for sure. Got to have plugins and all that. And you know? um, sometimes those happen, but, you know, we knew the consequences before. Um... You know, we had merchandise, product, we had artists with us. We were on our way to a venue to make money. And so we decided that we would rather get paid from going to our shows than getting in trouble with the police. That was a conscious decision. We said, we're not going to smoke in the car. If you want to smoke, we'll pull over anytime you want and smoke outside. But there's too much money to be made. We made we were selling CDs, so 
$10 a CD. We had, you know, thousands of dollars worth of product in the van. This is how we were living at the time, jumping from city to city, selling so CDs. So why risk it? And, and we, we said, you know, we all of us, you know, there was some, some rough characters with us, but we all said we would rather get paid. That's a conscious decision by a team to all get the bag. Everybody got paid. Sacrifice for the bag. Well, here's the thing, like, I'm glad you said sacrifice because most people don't know a, a real, true, genuine definition of sacrifice. When you hear the word, you, you always feel like it's a negative thing because it means you have to give up something. You have to stop. But the real definition is sacrifice is giving up something good for something better. Oh. It's a trade-off. It's not just give up something good and you're done. It's you're giving it up for something better. And so we decided that continuing these tours and six more stops is worth it. Yeah, what's coming in a couple hours later? Nah, so... And, yeah, you know, we down. had... There was a lot of... There was a lot of learning and we've done stuff wrong in the past. You know, but we only did it wrong once. <laughs> All it takes is once if you really understand how shit works. Right. So, wow. Wow, wow, wow. What state were you in? Or, like, what state should y'all travel? Everything from the Mississippi west and a few little pockets, Ohio's and Missouri's and, you know, Baton Rouge's. Did you ever get out and, like, see what the city is about when you were on the tours, or did you just strictly stick to the venue and hotel? Uh, no, we were we were out and about because we were the tour managers also, me and B12 usually, and um, we would find money at any opportunity we could. So we'd pull into town. We might have had Mac Dre, Yuck Mouth, 11.5, In Too Deep with us, and we can pull into the mall and pull up at any clothing store or shoe store in the mall and they'd pay us to sit there and sign autographs at the mall. So we'd be at the malls, we'd be at the other record stores, we'd be at the radio stations, we'd be anywhere they'd allow us. Man, so you know, from a business standpoint, you, how would the conversation go? You'd pop up at someone and be like, I got whoopie whoop in the car. You just make some calls if, you know, from uh, Portland to Yakima, you got a little time to kill, get on the phone and start making calls. We'd, we'd pull into some cities at 2 in the morning and the radio stations would let us come in and do an interview at 2 in the morning. Or we, we were also those guys who, after the show, we'd meet some people, we'd go to the studio, we'd record songs with those guys, sell verses, whatever. We were always on the move. Active. It was no wasted time because we knew we could get money in four or five different places. So, I got to go into, what's your definition of hard work? You gave us a definition of sacrifice, but it's another easy word that people get mixed up, misconstrued, say it in terminology that they really don't know. Hard work? I, I'm not a believer in hard work, to be honest with you. I, I, I think hard work is the wrong path. It, uh. it starts off already negative to me. When you say hard work, like, whoa, two negative words back to back? <laughs> What I try to do is smart work and, um, you know, find me the path of least resistance. Here's here's what you could find in yourself 
you know your strengths, but you also have to know your weaknesses. So I don't waste time doing things I don't know how to do. I leave it to the experts. I'll pay someone else to do it. It cuts down on mistakes. It cuts down on money loss. So easy work, delegating shit to other people. Like if you're a better leader, then do it. You know, if I was a DJ right now, I'd definitely run that whole segment back. Start it off just for the simple fact that people get that that thing so misconstrued. Because work smarter, not harder. But you drop some real jewels in there. A lot of the time, people put more stress on themselves by using the negative words. I like how you yeah. worded that. That was dope. So that's you know that's part of this journey of changing my philosophy. And life is easy. It's us that complicate it. We fuck it up for ourselves. <laughs> that's true. I don't worry about nothing because I understood several years ago that it doesn't help. It actually hurts more. So I don't worry. I don't think about money. I just try to be in a, a, a you know a positive place, a good feeling as much as I can. I know if I'm feeling good, things will come to me that I need on their own. Money included. Right. You attract wealth, the money will come. But I, here's the thing. we People use that word attract all the time, but the key to it is believing it yourself. Like I believe yeah. wholeheartedly that every month I'm going to make a lot of money not doing too much work. I'm a DJ, and I DJ weddings mostly. I DJ weddings mostly because they pay the most if I want to be a DJ forever. I'm 48, and I... You know, I make a lot of money DJing because I decided I want to be a wedding DJ. So I only work on the weekends. The weekdays, I do a little bit of music business work. But I've designed my life that way. Like, I don't, I decided I don't want to work hard. You know, ladies and gentlemen, he's saying that he's writing the chapter to his own books. He's not going to do as, as what other people want him to do. He's doing what he's comfortable doing and surviving that way. In 1986 and 87 and 88, like tons and tons and tons, hundreds of my friends and families have told me, oh, you got to get a real job. You got to get a real job. You got to get a real job. Well, here I am still DJing. And, um, you know, I got four kids, a wife, you know, the whole shebang. So how do you do it being, because I always ask my, my guests that are fathers and they're in the industry, being a dedicated dad is something that I give heed to everyone. I give roses to certain situations because it's not easy to do time management, break down whatever you have, do the extra phone calls, do the little extra things while you're in town to make everything work, to even you know keep the respect of your children from what, what you have, because sometimes you're on the road for six to eight months in a year and it's like you know i give heed to everyone that's still a father still working things out like it's important right so how, how did you keep your balance what's your secret my secret is monday through friday i don't work and i, <laughs> I wake up and give my son breakfast i have an eight-year-old so he's in third grade he gets ready for school i take him to school come home i watch some youtube have lunch, talk to a few people about their businesses. I go pick my son up from school. We play Legos. We he goes to karate. He's in the Boy Scouts. So I'm pretty I'm pretty involved with his with his uh, his life 
because I have plenty of free time. Because you created that. I created it. So I don't see him on the weekends, but I got two days I don't see him and five days that I do see him. Yeah, any kid would take that trade off. Yeah, so it's it's good. Uh, you know, like like you said, I, I designed it that way. You know, and it, was, it didn't start off like that, but... How long did it take you to get control of it? Because, you know, it's... A lot of the time, people think about the dark kinds of things spinning out, but they won't talk about it to guide people. <laughs> well, um, I've been on my path to, you know, my new philosophy for 10 years now. So... Yeah, we were talking about that off air. Yeah, so it's been 10 years since I've changed my mind. and um, I'm, What's the philosophy? The what? philosophy is be happy at all costs. Study every day. Have experiences. Be good. <laughs> so you got the it's pursuit of happiness with a little bit of the American dream, but more of the pursuit of happiness. Well, see, with happiness, the American dream is that's that's already comes with it. You see, what I'm saying you don't never have to chase. Uh, see, so that's why I never chase money. It comes with happiness. It's part of it. It's built in. You don't even have to talk about it, right? <laughs> it's assumed. Oh shit! Yeah, for sure. All right, I got to do my Trading Places segment. Okay. This is going to blow your mind because, you know, I got to do it. You know, recent things going on with the Lakers. I know I'm in the Bay, so Lakers don't get a lot of love, but oh well. I want to trade places with Shaquille O'Neal and Jack Nicholson. We have, and you know, what I do with Trading Places is that, I, you know, just like the old school movie from the 80s, it's compare, contrast. It's, it's really see what life would be like if Shaq was now this crazy actor that, you know, did The Shining, did all these incredible movies. He sits courtside to watch Jack Nicholson hoop and play center. Yeah. And... Well, that'd be a good movie. I mean, <laughs> see, the thing is, like, that that swap works for me because they're both lunatics. Like, they're both characters. Like, there's so much personality that it doesn't matter their talent. It doesn't matter, like, you're going to be entertained either way. So do you think, uh, what was it, Kaboom? Uh, what was Shazam? No, what was the movie he Shazam. did? Shazam. Shazam. Do you think that Jack Nicholson would have did a better role? Yes. By far? Because he's a natural actor. But he's a, now he's a basketball player with sore feet and, and can't shoot a free throw for shit. Yeah, I think about, when you say that, I think about Bill Murray in Space Jam. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Fair enough. He said it'll work, ladies and gentlemen. It'll work. Let's do it. <laughs> Derby, who you working with right now, bruh? Um, right now, I'm really focusing on building my DJ business. Um, I'm, I'm helping a lot of people. A lot of people call me. Um, Including myself. <laughs> uh, you know, and I'm just, I just give advice and connect people when I can. Um... I don't, I'm not doing any full-time music for nobody. I'm helping uh, B12 and Kevin Dixon, Captain Save a Ho. They're, they're putting together a little management company and uh, helping them get that going. Um, Kevin Dixon is also going to... He's putting together a distribution company himself. And so I'm helping him with that. Um, any more conferences coming up? Yeah, so I want to do as many as I can this year. And so if there's 10 people, I'll show up and call it one, you know. Okay. And so I'm kind of going on my tour. I already put the word out. I got a 
I spot in Modesto, Cali Underground, okay, uh, the record store. Reputable. They're gonna they're gonna let me you know set up some chairs. I could hold about 20 people in their store. Um, Vallejo, I'm gonna do one um, over at uh, Ozcat Radio. Okay. Um, and it just really, it really doesn't matter, you know. I'll do one at at the Pizza Pirate, at the Round Table Pizza, wherever, you know. <laughs> um, I did one at Chevy's before, you know, in the in the banquet room. Anywhere, it doesn't matter, you know. If there's at least five people, you know, let's do it. Let's let's talk about it because the thing is, it's easy to make money in music if you follow a formula. If you not like it's a cookie cutter plan, but it's a general plan, and then you add your own spices to it, you know. My friend, he likes to tell me that it's like you know, there's tools in the game, and if you don't add these tools to your tool belt and then know how to use them in the time when to use them, then it's like you know, why are you clipping down lemons and oranges that are gonna fall and wasting time for that when you should be trying to uh, take down the coconuts and stuff. Well, you kind of have to, you know, nowadays you got to be a jack of all trades, wear all kinds of hats, you know, and it it's always been that way, you know, in, back in oh, yeah, 1990, you. you know, I only know graphics because I couldn't afford to pay for graphics and someone actually gave me a computer in exchange to do graphics for them. Um, so we always did things out of lack of money. We, we wanted to pay everyone to do it. We just didn't have the money let me ask you this dj in 30 years plus that sounds dope saying that by the way did the game how did that how did that happen did you choose djing because you know you went to a party and was like that should be me up there controlling the crowd or was it more like you know you you, you were mixing around on the radio and or on the old vinyls and and you made something sound really dope so you were like that inspired you like how did it work I watched Crush Groove and Beat Street, to be honest TV, with you. TV, the movies. <laughs> I saw Crush Classics. Groove and Beat Street, and I was like, um, So you was like B-Boy or DJ? I was I was breakdancing, too, back then. Um, you ever bust them out for your kids? No. <laughs> My bad. That, that, was, that was an impulse question. That was hella impulse. Um... In the Bay Area, we had a few a few DJs starting to be able to be heard on the radio back in the in the late 80s. One of them was Cameron Paul. The other one was Michael Erickson. And um, at midnight, they used to, um, KSOL was a station. They would do what was called the 12 o'clock beat. And for one hour, they would, they would let the DJ mix. And in 1986, that was amazing to hear songs being blended together on the radio um and so i used to sit up and record those mixes after i found out that djing was an option you know in life so did you ever sneak into the station to really see how it works when you were younger or was it more so just you well, playing producer <laughs> on your own end at home nah see i because i've been doing it so long i started when i was really young and some of my mentors were a lot older than me, so they would bring me to nightclubs when I was 15. So you was young blood. Yeah, so I was at KML at 15 all the time because Rob Nonies would go there every Tuesday and do his music meetings and pitch songs, and so we got to meet everybody. Early on, you know, I was sitting with, 
you know, Felton Pilot and, and, and you know, of Confunction and uh, Jay King from, you know, Club Nouveau when I was, you know, 15, 16, 17. So I've been around music business real young. So I, I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to take the normal steps. I kind of got plunged into the limelight really, really young. So it selected you. The game chose you at a young age. There's, you know, music is in my family. You know, a lot of a lot of my, my uncles are, you know, in salsa bands and uh, play a lot of instruments. So I've always been around music, but... You're a generational music kid. Yeah. My wife recently bought me a, a guitar. I've yet to pull it out of the bag, but, um, you know, for Christmas, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to learn the guitar. That's something for 2020 you're going to bust out. Yeah. Here we go. We're going to see tutorials 2021 on how to uh, work a guitar. Guitar lessons. <laughs> so what, what's, what's your goal at the end of it? What's something before you ha- hang up your, your, your everything to this game? You know, your aux cords. I mean, you know, I'm just using that as an example or your speaker monitors, what, what, what's something that that's, you know you feel like you're, you want to accomplish? Um, I think, you know, after my 10 years of studying life, what I really want, I already have. And um, so I'd love to dedicate, you know, teaching other people how to be happy not focus on the money but on the happiness and even in music it's a big part of like believing you are who you are that superstar you know um but being humble at the same time that means when it's time to show that you can be great be great but don't talk about it and wear somebody ear out and then fuck off the opportunity in the same day right I'm sorry, I had a sidebar the fuck out of that. Cause yeah, yeah. People, <laughs> people take that so lightly because they be willing to quick talk and fast about an opportunity they got. But as soon as you ask them about what happened with it, they'll be like, oh, uh, whoop-de-whoop. What had happened was something extra that nobody should hear about because you shouldn't have told anybody from the beginning. We all programmed to want results immediately. But the music business, unfortunately, runs the opposite way. When you start, you usually start with zero fans. And after 12 months of hard work and putting in work, maybe you have 100 fans. And that's just the reality of it. And That's from ground zero. That's some from ground zero. Some people have enough wisdom <laughs> to recognize they got some heat from what they're doing in high school or college. Or, you know, where they have people around them and get that heat and transfer it. And, you know, grow your stuff organically. But a lot of people just don't think outside the box like that. Or we don't have mentors in the high schools like that to help redirect people's futures. I mean, there's some programs out here that that still exist out here. But it'd be nice if there was a way to get, like, people like you to go into (laughs) these middle schools and high schools and teach the kids in after-school programs that want to be involved. Oh, no problem. Yeah, no, I, I've gone to some boys and girls clubs and, and a few schools. But um, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So that's something to expect that you should get out <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that's okay. That's the Bay Air. Um, do that to you. We, we, in music, 
when you begin as an artist, you normally copy someone else that you admire and you get good at their style. And as you progress in writing and working with producers, you over time develop your own style. But uh, that copy mentality sticks with artists their whole lives. And so they'll copy whoever they think is more popular than them. And that's it. That's what all it's based on. I think they're more popular, so I'm going to do what they do. And so if we stop this follow the followers, the trend, then you'll start seeing progress. Isn't that something? He didn't say be yourself, but he said don't do what everybody else is doing. In public, here's the thing with when people say be yourself, that's actually to me it's bad advice. Cuz normal Derek B is lazy. But the best version of me is a go-getting hustler. Right? And so be the best version of yourself is what I tell people. Don't be yourself. Normal normal people we're really lazy. So be the best version of yourself. Try to. And practice. That's it. Practice being the best version. Sometimes Rehearse. you slip up. Rehearse, yeah. There's nothing wrong with rehearsing what you're about to do. There really isn't nothing wrong with that. No. You got any questions for me, Derek B? Well, yeah, I do have some questions for you. What what are what are the struggles that, you know, as an artist management, you know, as artist manager, you know, what are the struggles that artists come to you with in 2020? A lot of it is getting over the hill of pay to play and getting out of just the defeat of the hustle because you know a lot of promoters try to get the pay to play and people don't realize that they can put their music on ASCAP and do uh, on stage and you know build the promoter build the venue for whatever the hell you pay to get on the stage right you know there's ways to get around things and a lot of the people are just accepting things or just being defeated yeah and then so that's that's the biggest thing I hear from people and, and pretty much placement or people another something that upsets me because now I'm thinking about it a lot of people make music to make their friends like it to make their classmates like it to make people in the neighborhood like it but don't think of anything more than that that's something that upsets me the most they'll do a video they'll spend their whole paycheck and the only result they have is that 15 minutes of people playing it sharing it and then that's it and not realizing that there's people out there got music from three years ago still getting placement in TV and and film and, and right. getting those licensing checks and it's making a difference in their lives. Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, this whole mumble generation, you know, the problem with with the music and why I think a lot of people are, a lot of older cats are down on it is because there's no substance in the song. Like, there's no there's no reason for these songs to be played in 20 years. You know what I mean? Like a, a lot song of it like, is not timeless. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and it's not a story that people could connect with. There wasn't a there wasn't a song about divorce. There wasn't a song about spousal abuse. There wasn't a song about being a, you know an only child. There wasn't a song about child support. There wasn't a song about real life shit. And when you connect with people about real life shit. You get fans. 
There's only so many popping bottle songs you can make. For real. And those are the songs that are timeless. They'll, they'll be played because maybe, I mean, l- let's look at Eminem real quick. <coughs> His early music was was way different than what he's making now. And part of it was he, he was a young man at the time. But those young, raw, artistic words he was putting through were were real. They were realer to me than what he's putting out now. Not, not that it's not dope. But those songs saved people's lives, even though they were crazy. Like right. people connected with being Stan. an outcast. Stan was a, a, was mad crazy. And so, I will admit, I was uh, 13. I bleached my hair blonde in the whole Slim Shady movement. I will admit, a lot of people don't know that. No, it, I mean he. It was a wave, bro. He made an impact, and so new artists have to find a way to make their impact by. You know, stepping outside of parties because you don't just rap and then party and then rap and then party. You go through life like real life never stops. And so, you know, that's why Adele is so big, because, you know, she speaks about her real actions, her real life. That's why country music will never, never stop. It it tells stories. Country music tells stories like like songs a, that like really 80s work. R&B right right songs that really work they're sticky no matter what it sticks to you some kind of way whether it's, it's something bad or something good something that grows on you for songs that do make it through the time points that that from the 80s that we still play today the 90s that people are remaking today and then becoming hits even the early 2000s songs that they're remaking today a lot of it is because of that that stickiness of the content mm-hmm. and they're just adding stuff to it and making it relevant and right. it, it's working right and so you know i give heed to you know the people that are giving their flowers to these people that you know whether it was 10 years ago 20 years ago some of these people have been out the loop so long and you know it's nice to get a bag for having your music sample absolutely you know a lot of these people are pioneers in the game like yourself you're a pioneer in this in a lot of this whether you want to take heat to it or not you gave some game that people unless they listen to you on other things they won't know the details of what what really went into the real 80s movement oh no there was a lot of stuff we could sit and talk about a lot a lot of different artists and and even when i had a, a magazine out here called southwest bound you know i was connected to i mean almost everybody and of course i worked at bayside distribution so Everybody wanted to meet me anyways. Speaking you know, of Bayside, how did the whole Outlaws deal come about? I want to ask uh, that. That's you know what? Um, you that I don't honestly remember. That was a B12 deal. Um, we were out there for two years straight, signing as many people as we could, trying to put City Hall distribution out of business. You know, uh, not on no mean shit, but we were friends with, with uh, City Hall. But we, competitors. We were competitors. And so the year before me and B12 and Rob Noni's went to Bayside, the urban department was like billed like $200,000 in total urban music. And then our first year, we did like $6 billion. Holy and shit. we signed everyone we knew. And we knew everybody. We knew everybody. <laughs> you know? We signed. But what were deals like back then? I, I swear I'm not gonna take too much time. I don't even know how long we've been going. But 
it it depends. Oh, okay. Like we going we only have forty five. You know, we turned down the game. We turned down Genuine. We turned down Bubba Sparks. We turned down a lot of big artists because, you know, we. First of all, we were terrified of the deals. You know, we didn't know how to. We can do a JT the bigger figure deal. We could do a Daz Dillinger deal. We were we were comfortable doing those smaller deals. So some artists got money up front, um, and of course, you know, those dollars were recouped through sales. But um, what was the we biggest got, dollar you seen go? Oh well, JT the bigger figure. Uh, he probably made. I don't know. He probably made over a million dollars easy at Bayside. Um, we re-released his entire catalog at that time was maybe 28, 29 CD records that have never been on CD before. Oh. So they were, all, you know, like 10 of those records were only cassettes. They were only cassettes. And so um, we made a special catalog, the Get Low catalog. I, I, I designed like two or three album covers. Um, JT and me sat together for eight hours a day for three weeks straight, putting the catalog together, and that shit paid off big. Now, do you understand that, like I said in the beginning, you know, nothing really comes from uh, sleeping except for dreams. It takes real work. Now, granted, you probably were working smart back then, but it was still it was some type of hard work involved in there. We were we were really you know he winging grinding. it. Grinding, we was were grinding. winging it. We were grinding, but we didn't necessarily like know what we were doing. We we got jobs at this multi-million dollar. You know, Bayside was owned by Tower Records, uh-uh. and um, we actually went up. The story is me and B12 went up there. Rob Noni's already was working there, and there was a job opening, and we we both went up and interviewed for the same job. And um, the CEO was like, man, I, I love you both, and I wish I could hire you both, but I can only hire one of you. And so B12 was like, how much is the gig? How much are you paying? And it was like, it's 50000 And he's like, we'll both take twenty-five. And he hired us just right then on the spot. Uh, wow. We went up there to also get distribution for our projects for at the time it was Bay Rider Entertainment and then he offered us a job also which was awesome if there's anything you could do differently during that time period would you do anything differently yeah absolutely I would have changed my attitude way back then attitude I would have changed my attitude that's all I would have to change and everything else would have fell into place were you like aggressive back then bruh no, B12 was, he was a good, I was a good cop, he was the bad cop. We were kind of, you know, always doing business together, so he was the loud mouth. I'd put out the fires. Man. Okay, yin and yang. We got shit done. Yeah. Wow. He was the, he took over as the head of the urban department at Bayside, which I could have, but... I was terrified and he wasn't like fuck it he was good at talking to people you know groups of people and big things and so uh i just let him take the lead and then me and rob kind of were a support and you know everybody worked together real good up there out of all the moments that you've had because you've had various moments that were like 
chapters beginning, you know, new beginnings, like, oh, it's just the beginning, even though I've been doing this for a while. What moment made you feel like it changed your life? Where you was like, you know, this is something that it's like a high that I want to continue to get from this. Um, I helped out a artist named OG33. That's NBA Young Boy's older brother. The CEO. The CEO of, of Never Broke Again. Yeah. So um, he, I helped him out uh, get, you know, teach him the fundamentals of. Of business and um, and I made a few bucks and I was like whoa if these guys are listening to me maybe I'm maybe I'm not just spitting bullshit Wow NBA young boy is huge and he's underneath OG three three there's there's all kind of times but I felt you know kind of what's the word like you know, it was a cosign, like, someone someone else that I didn't know was like, fuck, we're hella, we, we're hella appreciative of what you said and taught us, you know what I mean? Like, I just teach people how to do shit. I'm not doing shit for them. I did stuff for them, for sure. Um, but, you know, for the most part, they got to learn, you know, how business run. Um, they were just putting out mixtapes and not collecting any money. They're just dropping songs on YouTube, getting millions of views, not collecting any money. So you contacted them or they contacted you? They, their very first situation was at Urban Life and they did a single and that didn't, they didn't like the situation. So uh, another, uh, another artist from, from Oakland, um, he, he was friends with him, and uh, he was like, man, you should talk to Derek. He's, he knows what he's talking about. So he put us in touch, and um, we talked for a couple hours, and, um, you know, it was like, let's let's do it. The same phone call, the very first call, they were they were happy with what I was saying, and, and you know, we've been, you know, occasionally they'll call me and say, hey, could you help us with this or that and this? But um, I don't, I'm not anyone's manager or I just, you know, I, I help everybody. Yeah, and you know, they look down and make sure you got a bag too. So let me ask you this. Do you send a thank you messages to all the videos where you learn a whole bunch of shit from the people? Um, <laughs> I try to, uh, <laughs> if I really like them, I'll try to make contact with them. And I've made contact with a few guys on YouTube from other parts of the world and have even spent money with people and taken classes from them. Um, the people that I've seen on YouTube, absolutely, it's fantastic. I'll bring that up because I came out here because you're one of the first people that I've seen, so you know. I drove a long way to make sure I get to the real content of, of some history out here. So I, I appreciate you, bro. Right on, right on. Uh, I want to just close out by bringing up, you know, like I was talking about earlier about, you know, the quote, wrap it in a full circle one more time. It's a lot of things that you can do in this world. It's just, you know, you got to make a plan, manifest it, have some visions. You know, have, go back to your younger years if you have to or play with your kids. Be Feel something so you can be creative. Because at that point... That little bit of energy you have that you can create from that can become a lot more. So you just tap into it. 100%.
anything you want to add before we close out? No, I mean, you, that was it, 100% what you just said. Like, and believe in yourself. That's uh. what, that's the last thing I want to say. Like, believe in yourself and be your biggest fucking fan. Uh, no one will buy into anything unless you buy into yourself. Because people will, like, weed through the bullshit that you got covered up over your face or what you sound like. That's real. Where can they follow you at? Um... On Instagram, it's uh, DJ Derek B, D-A-R-I-C-B as in boy. And then uh, Facebook is Derek Bergerson. Okay. And then uh, for the conferences, how do they get in touch with you? Or Oh, yeah. And then my website. That's probably the best way. So DerekB.com. www.D-A-R-I-C-B as in boy.com. You catch me at DJ One Dollars. Uh... So I'm gonna go ahead and kick myself out, but I ain't going too far. The weather too nice out here. All right, we out this motherfucker contrast uncut episode 15. Derek B.